Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Drinking Well, a podcast by Berry Brothers and Rudd, with me, Barbara Drew. Today, I'm sitting down with Joe Whitaker, Global Brand Ambassador for BBNR Spirits, to discuss collecting spirits, how they differ from wine, and the role they play in a balanced cellar. Joe, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely delighted that you're here. And as someone whose primary interest lies with wine, I dabble in spirits, but I'm really, really excited to uh, pick your brains and make the most of your extensive knowledge in our conversation today. So before we get into the fun world of spirits, whiskies in particular, tell us a little bit about your background in spirits. Where did you start and where are you now? My journey starts back from when I was uh, 18 years old. I became a bartender at Yates's in Camberley. Spent 14 years on and off being a bar manager, growing up from backpacker bar all the way up to cocktail bar manager in Soho. After 14 years, it was time to step away from the hospitality side. I applied for a job uh, with Barry Brothers and Rudds, and uh, luckily they uh, they liked me enough to, to offer me the position. So started four years ago as a business development manager. So looking after the pubs and restaurants of West London, predominantly with products like Number 3 Gin and King's Ginger, as well as some of our bottlings back then of Berry Brothers and Rudd whiskies, and then recently have been promoted to the position of Global Brand Ambassador. So I am now representing our independent bottlings of Berry Brothers and Rudd. Fantastic, and congratulations. Thank you very much. What does a typical work day involve? you the one joys about the job is that you don't have a normal work day which is probably the part of the job i like the most there are days that i am lucky enough to be tasting and writing tasting notes i also do a lot of training internally and externally working with our teams and bar teams and retail teams teaching them about the world of rums or whiskies all the way up to some more specialized trainings the use of wood in whiskies and sort of regional specialties when it comes to scotch and wild whiskey also hosting master classes for consumers and going to the some of these excellent whiskey shows that are popping up around the country and around the globe at the moment crikey so quite a quite a broad remit there it's a, probably a cliche to say no day's the same but it really is no day's the same i'm not sure where i'm waking up sometimes. You mentioned the term independent bottler. Many of our listeners will know we are a very old wine and spirits merchant. We've been around since 1698. We have a shop, we have a website, we help people to build cellars, fantastic collections of wines and spirits, but we also bottle spirits. Is that right? Yes. So independent bottling probably predates these distillery bottlings as we are seeing now. Back then, those houses are very much like the distilleries of of Scotland and Ireland especially they distilled and they aged these products but they never actually bottled them it was up to companies like Berry Brothers and Rudd to go out and source the right whiskies that they wanted to showcase and put them into these bottlings 
we have continued for almost two centuries now. We believe we are actually the oldest continuous independent bottler in the world. And we still have that opportunity to go out and find and create this collection of whiskies, highlighting the best producers and casks from not only Scotland, from around the world. In whiskey, rum, cognac, any premium spirit that we think is good enough to drink, we can put under our bottling. Does that not seem a little presumptuous? Wouldn't you say that the distillers are actually the specialists when it comes to blending and bottling their whiskey? It's not so much presumptuous. We have got the freedom to pick and choose what we want. So sometimes we like to go after distilleries that are not really ever seen in bottlings because there are, to this day, there are workhorses of Scotland, which about 99% of it will go into blended malts and blended scotches. So what we have the opportunity to do is go and find a barrel or a cask which is unique and not really been seen. And sometimes we also have a chance to find casks which are owned by these distilleries, which is away from that style which they like to show. Take a distillery that is only really bottles sherry casks and they do it very well but they may have had a run 10 20 years ago of bottling certain things in hogshead that have contained bourbon and they are unique they are beautiful they are one-of-a-kind bottlings but they cannot put them under their label because it doesn't match their brand and we have that opportunity to work with them to showcase a different side of these these distilleries while keeping that character of these distilleries going kind of seeking out the under the radar the little hidden gems that have perhaps got a little bit more character or just something a little bit special yeah something unique something one of a kind is what we want to showcase and something for people to explore and discover so sort of single casks one of a kind are all of these bottlings whiskey or do we do we look at other spirits as well no no we look at other spirits we predominantly focus of course because of where the industry is on scotch whiskey but we also try and have a look at world whiskies having a look at stepping away from malted barley which is malted whiskey to different grains with rye oats stuff like that every release we release a new set of casks every three months with the change of the season and we always contain one rum but as well in our shop we have our cognacs calvadoses armagnacs as well and we are looking further into the future how we can look at other categories of spirits that we think are good enough to sort of showcase and stuff that our customers would really enjoy discovering wow so really covering the whole world in spirits yep. <laughs> world is our oyster really um because we are not geographically located in in scotland we have got that freedom where we are unique enough to be able to really go out there and find just anything we want to showcase really exciting i can already see lots and lots of parallels here between how we approach our wine producers finding producers that have got real talent asking producers to make wines just for us that we put our name on the label something our customers are going to enjoy and so taking that over into the spirits world something that we discuss a lot on this podcast is the joy of collecting so really love drinking savoring wines and spirits but also collecting them and building a really varied collection I'd love to get your thoughts on the role of spirits within a drinks collection. Do you think there's space in a cellar for bottles of whiskey? 
Oh, um, there's always space in a cellar for another bottle of whiskey. But I think the role of spirits, with whiskey in mind, but as well as all of them, is that spirits are as diverse, or if not, dare I say it in this building, more diverse than the wine, just due to the fact is that there are so many different styles and types and categories of spirits that really have an occasion for every purpose. You've got things that you would like to drink on your weekend with just in relaxed situations, or maybe that special bottle of something that you want to crack open on a special, special day, Christmas or a, or a big event coming up. So I definitely think there is room for that because I think wine and spirits complement themselves side by side so well. And the joys about spirits is that when you have a bottle, unlike wine, you have to commit to finishing that bottle. You don't always have to commit to finishing a bottle of spirits as long as it's it's kept in the in the right conditions. It will last for a long time. That's a really interesting point there. Spirits, once they're bottled, they don't evolve, they don't change in the same way that wines do. So you could drink a spirit as soon as you've purchased it or you could keep it for 20, 30, 40 50 years and not worry about the flavour changing too much but also when you open that bottle generally it will stay in pretty good condition so you can really savour it and potentially have quite a few bottles of whiskey open at once yes yes very much all of the work is done before it's put into a bottle so for someone as impatient as me it works in in my favour a couple of years ago I bought some Bordeaux wines not realising that you had to lay it down for 10 years so I've been sitting there waiting for them still got a long time to go um, well with a bottle of spirits if I uh, really want to open it up and enjoy it with some friends and family then it's sort of instant and as you said it doesn't evolve anymore unlike wine where it evolves more in that bottle all of that aging process is done onward in that cask. So that being the case what is the benefit do you think of buying bottles of spirits and keeping them in your cellar? I think giving your opportunity of variety. Also, the one thing I would say about spirits is because they last like they do, when you put them into glass, when you put them into a bottle, they no longer evolve. So I find them a bit of a time capsule. People talk about these great bottlings of different eras. We're going to be trying something from the late 90s later on in this podcast. And the one thing I think about keeping collecting is that these things are time capsules. Until that thing is finished, it is taking you back to a different time, a different era, which as it's tasted when it was ready to go into that bottle. It's something that strikes me when I'm tasting very old wines you sort of pause and think, gosh, what was the world like when this wine went into bottle and what has happened since then? And of course, the same for spirits. But I think it's something that we maybe don't draw out enough over the past 20 years or so. You you think about it when you're drinking something that's 50 years old, but something that's 20 years... I mean, there's a real difference between things that were made even 15 years ago and processes are improving and changing all the time and you end up with spirits and wines that continuing evolution I think and I think that that evolution is the best thing about wine and spirits but just seeing how things evolve how younger whiskies from the same distillery have got that character but maybe have changed because they've stopped making things manually and gone over to computers or productions have changed or 
styles of flavour have changed. We live in the era of sherry cask finished whiskies at the moment, but we go back 20, 25, 30 years and everything was being put into bourbon hogsheads and it was just the change of flavours and how the industry evolves really. Something that many of our listeners may be aware of is that spirits don't generally have a vintage date on them, which is to say they don't normally come from a specific year. So unlike wines, they don't carry the personality of the year in which they were distilled or bottled. Yet, to some extent, what you're saying is that there is still that evolution. And actually, if you buy a spirit five years ago, one that's 10 years old, one from 15 years ago, and so on, you will see a different sort of evolution, which is the evolution of the distillery itself, not the spirit, but the direction that they're going in and stylistic tweaks that are appearing. Yeah, I always like to think that a distillery always has the same character running through. It always has that unique fingerprint. That's either the style from how it's distilled to how it's fermented. But then after it comes off that still, after it's put into a barrel, it's all up to the master whiskey maker or master blender to then tweak and choose how these things are. That is putting it into different wood cars, so sherry or port or bourbon, or in these days things are moving into new wine finishes or even cognac or mezcal cast finishes to really just show different things. And that's where that style changes. That's why it's always great to keep purchasing stuff that from different eras just to see how trends have changed. Speaking of trends, do you think that there are certain spirits or certain styles which are timeless and really deserve a place in a cellar and are there certain styles that you think that's that's interesting but it's perhaps not going to be as popular in you know 20 years i think so at this moment in time we are having a real revolution it's real exploration into what we can do differently especially in whiskey if that is sort of changing the elements that make up to that using different yeast different strains of barleys different woods i always think that bourbon and sherry will last because they are the classics i think there are certain ones that we see today coming through which will probably last using these sweet wine casks and sometimes using those sort of more interesting rum casks i think these things will continue i also may be very wrong these things may not last and the beer finishes and the mezcal finishes may last and I may just be very wrong. I think yeah the sherry industry may well end up relying on the whiskey industry to support it. I think so (laughs) unless we start drinking more sherry. Exactly. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about this bottle that you brought for us today and then we can have a taste because it's staring at me looking extremely (laughs) appealing. It really is isn't it. So I've brought along a bottle from last year's autumn release and this is a 1998 Ben Nevis which is 24 years old was bottled in 2022. Tell me more about that because the year on the label means something quite different in spirits from wine. If I brought along a 1998 bottle of wine that would be 25 years old and you said 22. It was bottled in 2022 but the major difference is that when you put a year on a bottle as an independent bottler or if you're doing a single cask you put the year that it was distilled on that is the key factor and then as an independent bottler you also put the year that it was bottled in so that's how you know the age statement unlike a age statement in a single malt from a distillery which could tell you it's 24 years old but that's the minimum age of the spirit inside it 
it. So sometimes they put older stuff in there to give more texture or more flavour or more depth of complexity. Where this is a single cask. So this is being distilled in 1998 and bottled last year in 2022. So that's what those numbers are about. Perfect. And it looks from here ever so slightly hazy. Yes. So this has lived its life in one barrel. We do not chill filter and we do not add colour to our single casks. What we do is we open up the plunger, we tip it out, we put it into a bottle. Is that um, the technical process? Yeah. <laughs> tip it out and put it into a bottle? Pretty much. What we sometimes do is sometimes those casks, given a little bit of haze, yes, we have filtered it out to remove any chips of wood or anything that's left in there. But this bottle has just had a little bit unclear and we've decided to keep it because that's the character. I mean, it still tastes fresh and bright and beautiful it just has a slight haze in the colour. All right, should we pour some out? I think so. When I was choosing a bottle, thinking, what have we released recently or what have I tried recently to really I want to showcase? And not only have I chosen this one just due to the fact that it is beautiful in flavour, but also it was released just after I'd finished the West Highland Way, which actually finishes at the steps of Ben Nevis. So it really felt like something that came full circle. So uh, 100 miles or 96 miles from Glasgow all the way up to Fort Williams, five days with everything on my back while packing and ended up at the uh, after shower, of course, or ended up at the, uh, the Ben Nevis distillery. So when this bottle came out, I really has a bit of a personal connection. But also, I think that this bottling showcases what independent bottlings are about. Because Ben Nevis, as I said, is a workhorse opened in 1825 by a man called John MacDonald and has essentially always been a workhorse for blends. It's gone into different blends in Scotland. It got bought in like the late 80s by Nika and has gone into some of their blends that they own globally and is never really given the light that I think it deserves because they do do their own bottlings but they're not very old. I think the oldest that they do is a 10-year-old, which is beautiful, but I think a whiskey this robust and this this oily really needs a bit more time. Give it a decade, two and a half decades as, as we've here. And it really comes into its own because you get so much uh, citrus and tropicality from the sort of fruit. On the nose, I instantly get pineapple loaf, like imagine sort of a tropical yes. pineapple note. But also, as you said, that slight citrus note, yeah. there's a real freshness here. Yeah. And also just sort of more tropical fruits that you, you don't always see in newer styles of whiskey, like those mashed bananas and got banana skins on that nose, which really sort of invite you to drink something which is, which is very different. Should we try? Yes. I see what you mean about the texture. Really, mm. really beautiful, rich, almost unctuous texture. Yeah. The flavours last so long that they still develop long after it disappeared from your mouth. You start with those citrus, those bananas again, but then you almost end up with grapefruit and tropical like pineapple. And in that middle, there is a lovely hit of spice that breaks up that sweetness and really just gives it some texture. Yeah, there's a lovely hint of smokiness there mm. as well. Quite subtle, yeah. but just to balance out the fruit. Yeah. Lovely bit of wood smoke there. No peat has come anywhere near this bottle for any of our any of our listeners that are put off by peat. <laughs> Beautiful. The other thing that strikes me, this is bottled at cast strength. Yes. So it's 52.6% alcohol, which sounds pretty potent, but really that alcohol is very well integrated. There's absolutely no harshness there, which I attribute to the very long aging, this yeah. lovely smooth character. Absolutely yeah. delicious. It, it's very easy to be put off by the word cast strength or ABV, especially ones that sort of mid to high 50s. But these things are bottled with that in mind. So we would never 
never bottle something for it's not ready yet if you still have that harshness of that alcohol then we would wait let that wood filter out those harsher alcohol elements and blend it in quite nicely the other thing that you can do is these bottles like all whiskies especially something in the low 50s really does take water quite well if you have a pipette or just a teaspoon and add a couple of drops of water into it and then just roll it around gently don't swirl it just roll it around gently let that water integrate then you will see different flavors come through and this one you get more tropicality you get more citrus and it really comes alive but coming naturally down to 52.6% has really let that wood and that spirit just integrate quite beautifully. And it's just one of those ones that you can keep sipping quite quite pleasantly. Remarkable. And to your point about the water, do you add water to your spirits when you're enjoying them or do you tend to drink them neat? Occasionally, it all depends on the spirit and how long I would like to enjoy it for. Um, <laughs> sometimes when they're higher 50s, you can only really have one unless you start bringing the uh, the ABV down a little bit. But the one thing I would say is that whiskey, very much like most things, are all personal preference. And I would always suggest that any whiskey that you want to try, you always try as it was bottled, because that's what it was meant to showcase. And then adding a little bit of water if you want, add ice or sort of cooling stones in if you prefer your whiskies a bit colder and then just explore that way. But always try whiskey first, neat as it is, and then you can develop it to your own taste. Coming back to this, there's a lovely, it's like creaminess, almost a hint of nuts, macadamia nuts there. One of those glasses that you just have to keep going back to to see uh, what else. Yeah, this one really does develop quite nicely the more it's opened. And that vanilliness, that creaminess has come from that, that bourbon hogshead which means that you really kind of get essence and sweetness in there that sort of balances quite nicely and ties it all together. There are many people who are intrigued by spirits, but they're not, perhaps they're not quite sure where to start, whether it's when should I drink spirits or what should I start learning about. Do you have any advice for getting into spirits? What I would suggest is having a look at a category that you may be interested in. If it is whiskies, if it is Scotch whiskies. As an ex-bartender myself, I think that we are the wealth of wisdom. If you would like to explore something, go and talk to your merchant or your retailer or, or a local bartender that you trust and see what they have for you to try. Not only with the single cask range that we have here, we also have our classic range where we have sherry cask and Isla uh, single malts that are unaged statements, which are there for people to discover and enjoy in their most brands have something along that line so try it try it with some friends don't go for isla straight away if i love my heavily peated whiskey especially at winter but the first whiskey i ever tried uh, was a lafroig and i was scared away from whiskey for about five years which is hilarious for the job i've now ended up in have a look at what you like in other drinks if you're a beer drinker do you like something which is like guinness which is very malty very chocolatey very heavy or do you like a lager which is lighter and refresher and then you can sort of have a look see what distilleries are out there because there is a distillery out there for all flavor preferences if you're not sure about whiskey but you want to sort of learn about it there is also bourbon out there which is made of corn the american whiskey which is a little bit sweeter to the palate a little bit more approachable for some people and you can try those things and develop develop your palate and develop what you like and for those who stick adamantly to this idea that you shouldn't mix the grape and the grain that is, of course, brandy. 
So cognac and armagnac, which are from specific regions of France and brandy as a group, which is made from wine, distilled wine. Do you have a preference for cognac or armagnac? Do you like them both? Do they come very much second to whiskey? What are your views on those spirits? I really like brandy as a whole. Cognac, I think, is really, really approachable. It's normally a, a bit sweeter, a bit rounder, a bit more full-bodied as a, as a flavour. Um, it's also a lot more approachable. The big cognac houses that we, we all know of the names are out there and it's very readily available. And sort of go out and try them and see what you like there. Armagnac is a much smaller region in size and also production. The style of Armagnac, I find, is sometimes a little drier, a little savior. It's a, it's a little bit more challenging as a, as a first timer. But if you have enjoyed your cognac and you want to explore a bit more, it's a real interesting sort of area to go and explore. I think it's important to add as well that in many of these regions, you may well start a meal with wine, have wine with your food but you may well finish with a glass of armagnac to perhaps round things off and mm. um, again this idea that it's either wine or spirits just doesn't hold true they really do work together and alongside each other oh yes I, I definitely believe though the amount of times i have started a meal with a martini and then moved on to wine or there is a new drive to really show cognac as the french see it as not just a thing to sip at the end of a meal but if you take a younger vs or a vsop cognac it's really good for mixing a long drink serving with some ginger ale it's what um, a cognac house called Hein are really champion is this highball cognac which is a very refreshing way of drinking cognac in the summer a sort of alternative to a gin and tonic I got inducted over that and I'm a big fan now especially with the warmer weather that sounds absolutely delicious perhaps this is an unfair question as you work more with spirits than with wine But do you think that there is more flexibility on the part of spirits producers, that they're happy for their spirits to be served with mixers? Do you think that wine producers could learn from that? (laughs) That's a dangerous question to ask in this area. I think that there are definitely both camps. There are definitely whiskies out there, especially of the more aged spirits, the older cognacs and armagnacs, as we talked about, the older whiskies and older rums, which I think they have a a majesty in themselves to be able to be enjoyed on their own. But I also think that there is that place for that younger spirit that can be mixed, that can be evolved. I think that cocktails have had a really good bearing on that ability for people to use spirits in a different way. Do I think wine could follow their... Yes, maybe. It's funny you mentioned cocktails, actually. I mean, so we're sat in the born room, beautiful room, and around me on the walls, we've got all of this wonderful historic cocktail paraphernalia, very old bottles of, you can see the King's liqueur over there, very old bottle of our King's ginger, some lovely old cocktail books. And of course, this isn't a new trend. Cocktails have been around for quite literally centuries so just a new spin on something really quite traditional yeah exactly and this room is packed 
as you said, that time capsule of, of age. I am staring at the Savoy cocktail book, the quintessential cocktail book from the early 1930s, which I do not have a, a copy this old, but is illustrated to perfection and shows that even though cocktails have evolved, there are still that backbone of what you can see in those pages and what we drink today. And all of those cocktails that came out of Prohibition, where people were, were wanting to drink things take lesser spirits and make them more palatable. And we have those waves of these cocktails that we still drink today. Speaking of spirits that used not to be particularly palatable and something we've not yet touched on, gin. Tell me your thoughts on gin. Should we be collecting gin? Should we be storing it as a representation of how gin distilling and gin tastes have changed over time? Or is gin something that's firmly for the here and now? I think that gin is an excellent and exciting category. It has changed slightly, but I think gin is very much here and now, even though some productions change and how you make it. Sometimes it's where you get your products from, changing climate and things like that, is junipers and these these flavours aren't from the same region because you just can't get them anymore. But really, I think gin is a present drink. It's not one to sneak away and then see how it's changed. I think opening it up and enjoying it with friends in a martini or a gin and tonic or in one of your classic gin cocktails is definitely where we should go and just keep enjoying it rather than hiding it away at the back of the cellar. And do you think gin has reached its apogee? Is there another spirit that's going to try and take its crown? Or do you think gin is going to be uh, the spirit of choice for many people for many years to come? I don't think gin's going anywhere. The flavours are beginning to make way back for that London dry style. That classic style seems to be coming through. But I do think there is room for other spirits. People are looking other places. But I don't think there is going to be a category which really champions what gin has done over the last 15 years and what vodka and flavoured vodka did for the 10 years before that. I think what's going to happen is, to use another cliche, that rising tide raises all boats. The the rise in stuff like rum, Mm. you can really see whiskey is really having a resurgence, especially over the last half decade. I, as a bartender, was saying for years that mezcal and tequila were going to be the next big drink. I'm still saying that, and one day I will hopefully be right. But I think people's exploration, what those many flavours of gin have done, has given people the confidence to go out and try other things and see what else is out there and see what you can mix with tonic, really. You mentioned earlier whiskies from around the world. And of course, Scotland is not the only place that produces whiskey. Are there any up and coming whiskey producing regions you've really got your eye on? Yes. And we actually, as a company, are really looking at the boom of English whiskies. As a category, it's very, very young and it's still trying to find its way. And because it is so young, what they are doing is they're putting so much emphasis on that original spirit. So it can be drunk younger. It doesn't need the requirement of many years of wood, because if not, we still wouldn't be seeing it. But I think English whiskey is definitely going to be one of those to sort of watch this space and we have been bottling this year we are showcasing four english distilleries this year which really are worth exploring but other regions are definitely growing the nordic regions are doing some amazing stuff they are looking at very unique 
techniques of how to make malted whiskey different or playing around with those different grains. Cairo in Denmark is making some beautiful rye whiskies that are spicy and very, very different to the ryes you would see in Canada and America. And that's definitely a region which will, will be showing some really interesting stuff. And then you've got the rise of Australian and Indian whiskies as well that are doing some really unique things and showing what a Scotch style of whiskey can do in a hotter climate. And of course, we're missing the elephant in the room, which is the Japanese, which are going from strength to strength, making more and more very precise, delicious whiskies, which if you can get your hands on, definitely go out and try. If you can get your hands on them, how do you get your hands on them? <laughs> that is a uh, that is a secret I would like to know the answer to. But have a chat with your account manager or your local merchants, and they will be able to uh, definitely guide you. There is a lot of their sort of their younger blends coming through, which really showcase what it's about and a delicious and easy drinking. If you're lucky enough to get your hands on something like a Yamazaki 18, just make sure you don't let it take it out of your sight because it's a beautiful masterpiece of a whiskey which uh, is definitely worth savouring. I think sometimes there is a view that spirits producers, distillers make huge, huge quantities of spirit. And actually for many of the smaller distilleries, that's just not true. And then of course, once you've aged the spirit for 15, 20, 25 years, what you're left with is really quite a small, small amount of liquid. Many of these really are very sought after Mm. and there is just not that much to go around, which is a pity. No, because also if you kind of got rid of all your 18-year-old stock, if you wanted anything older, you have to start again and wait another 18 years, which is is a bit too long. So it's all about managing that sort of stock and making sure that what you can enjoy today can be enjoyed tomorrow. Your comments about the English distilleries really struck me that they're making spirit that can be enjoyed a little bit younger. It doesn't have to be aged for quite such a length of time in cask and particularly because the climate here is a wee bit cooler than it might be elsewhere in the world. So ageing does take a while. And, you know, this is something that we're really noticing in the world of wine that many producers are making wines that can be enjoyed a lot sooner. You don't need to age them in your cellar for 20 years, just as these whiskey producers don't need to age their spirits in their barrels for 20 years. I think that's a really, really interesting parallel there. So what do you normally drink at home? This is the hardest question I think I get asked. Uh, What do I drink at home? It all depends on the season, what mood I'm in. Uh, We're going into hotter months, so I will probably be moving from drinking beautiful peated whiskey. And I'm looking at more sort of lighter fruitier stuff, Speyside and and something like Ben Nevis that is fruitier and richer and has definitely come come back into my glass. But also when it comes to this sort of temperature, I love to just crack out the rum. Having a glass of Caribbean rum, I'm currently very much enjoying a bottle of 10-year-old Jamaican rum that I have at home from Hamilton, uh, which is beautiful, funky Jamaican rum, which is perfect just over a couple of cubes of ice on a hot day. So it all depends on the climate, really. Quite a characterful run, that one. Yes, there's, there's, yeah, it's, it's not, not one for the fate-hearted. It's, a, uh, it's got lots of flavours, lots of funky flavours, but it's definitely something that I'm enjoying at the moment. Before we started recording, we went out to our followers on Instagram to find out what they would like to know from you. We do a lot of independent bottlings. Which is your favourite spirit 
from our range? Now, I know that is a potentially very difficult question to ask, but can you pick one? It's like choosing your favourite child. <laughs> so the one that we have recently bottled was part of our exceptional range, our top tier of single casks, which we released at the same time as, as this Ben Nevis last year. We released a 98, 97 Beaumont, which was one of those ones that when I was trying it, I think I went silent for about two minutes because of the complexity and the flavours that just sort of exploded in my mouth made me just shut up. It was absolutely stunning. I think mid-90s Beaumont is some of the best whiskies that have been made in the, at least my lifetime. Something like that would probably have to be up there and one that I, I don't think I'm going to have the luck of trying again because I don't think there's any more out there. I think it's all all been drunk. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll see if we can... I mean, maybe, maybe there's some lurking somewhere. Oh, I'm still looking. <laughs> You mentioned tequila and mezcal. You've been waiting for them to come to prominence. Which category of spirits are you most excited about the future of? I think it is that tequila and mezcal. I think the agave spirits. There is something so magical about that category. It's such a historic category. It predates whiskey in in Scotland. Wow. And is because of this, is so ingrained in the Mexican, especially the Oaxacan uh, for Mezcal culture and society, that every time I, I try it, you can just feel the whole community in there has worked together and something that takes so long, like a field of barley can be grown twice a year, but an agave plant can be 7 to 16, 18 years to wait to it's mature enough, and that time really comes into it. I think it's a really exciting category. We haven't mentioned our own gin number three gin a question what sets it apart from other gins number three gin it was a labor of love back in 2008 when simon berry our chair at the time set us the challenge of making not only a gin the best gin in the world for a martini i I always say that we probably spent two weeks scratching our heads because we are a merchant you can come and have a look we don't have a hidden still in our basement but we then went out and we really wanted to look at what makes the best gin and what it is is that sort of even flavors of juniper citrus and spice and trying to make sure that all three of those are married perfectly together, as well as something of texture and sort of complexity and refreshingness. So teaming up with people like Alessandro Palazzi, the head bartender at the Duke's Hotel, who is probably the godfather these days of martinis, and Dr. David Clutton, a chemist who is the only person in the world with a PhD in gin, and working with those experts and with our partners in Royal Tokaipa and Ski Dam, Holland, who are probably one of the best distillers out there for that neutral grain spirit so adding natural flavors to neutral spirits has created something which i think not only encapsulates what a premium gin should be but also hopefully captures something which should be quite timeless delicious perfect in a martini yes one more question from me i'm going to tack on the end here before we go what were you drinking when you did the west highland way a lot of stream water but I didn't drink anything. When you're trying to carry everything over mountains, it's a whole bottle of whiskey adds quite a lot of extra weight. Um, not even a little hip flask? Not even a little hip flask. I uh, I was planning on, on bringing one, but I was in such a rush to catch my train from London, I left it behind. I can't remember what I had in there. I think it was a canvas, an old grain whiskey, which I, uh, which I was finishing off. But at the end, as I said, I went to the Ben Nevis distillery. Me and my friends bought a bottle of their 10-year-old, so it was me and my friend Matt 
cat who walked it. We got the cable car up halfway up because my legs were shot and I wasn't walking up. They'd never sat at that point. And then we sat on top looking over this beautiful view of the sea lock and Fort Williams below us and we cracked open and cheers with the uh, the Ben Nevis 10 so that's what we finished our night with anyway that's a suitably fitting end to quite an impressive journey I think yes. thank you so much for sharing that for bringing this fantastic whiskey today really really beautiful and I'm gonna enjoy watching that evolve over the next few hours in glass and the great thing is the bottle is open but it can be drunk over many weeks or months even Thank you for listening to this episode of Drinking Well, a podcast by Berry Brothers and Rudd. If you'd like to browse our independent bottlings, visit bbr.com slash podcast. Or if you're interested in starting your own fine wine and spirits collection with Berry Brothers and Rudd, all the information you need can be found on bbr.com slash collecting. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again for listening. I'm off to hunt down some late 1990s Beaumont. Cheers. <laughs>